Welcome to Off the Clock, a podcast by Procino Wells and Woodland, where we take a team-centered, family-focused approach to serving the estate planning and elder law needs of our community on the Eastern Shore. I'm Amber Woodland, one of the attorneys at Procino Wells and Woodland, and I'm joined today by Michelle Procino Wells. Welcome. Glad to be here. (laughs) We are excited to discuss the topic of digital assets today. This is kind of a new hot topic. A lot of people are talking about it as it pertains to their estate plan. Yes. So I thought to get started, we really need to tee up this term digital assets by talking about assets in general. Yes. Yes. And sometimes we get a little pushback from our clients. Why do you even need to know about my assets? <laughs> right. How you're not my financial advisor. You're not my accountant. You're my attorney creating my estate plan. And we believe that asset information is one of the most important pieces of information to making sure a plan works. Right. Because, well, we too, we always like to distinguish that, you know, when someone passes away or they become incapacitated and their family comes to us. The very first thing that we have to determine is what did they own and how was it owned? Exactly. Because that's the, always the starting point mm-hmm. because, you know, they may have the most, you know, beautiful, beautifully written trust or will, but yet if they have a joint owner on their account, those documents aren't going to apply to that account at all. So the asset, yeah, it's, it is when we, yeah, we do get lots of pushback mm-hmm. clients, you know, not wanting to provide us with their asset information or a thorough asset list. But, you know, I always like to say we, it's estate planning. We have to know what's in your state to right. be able to plan appropriately. Yep. So let's talk about the different types of assets that are part of a person's estate first, and then sure. we'll narrow it down to get to the digital assets aspect. So financial accounts, you want to kind of just give some examples? Sure. Checking, savings, money market, you know, brokerage account with after-tax investments as opposed to like pre-tax, like IREs, those kinds of things. You know, for when people have trust, you know, we always recommend general rule is always that those types of accounts are going to get retitled in the name of the trust. Right. There's really no disadvantage to retitling financial accounts into the trust name. Right. Just like right. there's no disadvantage to naming the trust as the beneficiary on life insurance. That's right. So yes. yeah. life yeah. insurance would be another type of asset. Yeah. And typically, like you said, we, we name the trust as the beneficiary on the life insurance. Not usually necessary to change the owner unless we're using like an irrevocable asset protection trust. So yeah, life insurance... Sometimes we're looking at changing ownership, um, but typically always looking at uh, naming the trust as a beneficiary. So outside of money, Mm-hmm. There would be real estate real or timeshares. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So what do we do in order to make sure that those types of real property interests are aligned? And, you know, re- real estate, whether it's someone's home, their beach house, their condo, whatever it might be, you know, we're typically always going to recommend that those be titled in the name of the person's trust. Timeshares too, you know, mm-hmm. lots and lots of our clients have timeshares. And what people don't often realize is that is an interest in real property or real estate. State. And so, you know, if you have a timeshare in Florida and you pass away a Delaware resident, well, you might be looking at having to probate your estate in Delaware where you live, but you might also have to probate it in Florida, um, even for just a timeshare mm-hmm. interest. So again, general rule is we want to get those transferred into a trust name so that we avoid probate on them. And then same would be true for a business interest. So that's another type of asset. If, right. it, if a person owns an interest 
in any type of business, whether it's an LLC or a corporation, making sure that that business interest is properly aligned too. Absolutely, and that's really important um, for a married couple mm -hmm. where maybe one spouse has an interest in a business. You know, lots of times for married couples, at the first death, they will avoid probate because everything is jointly owned. But at the second death, or I'm sorry, but when there's a, a, a separately owned business interest, if that spouse passes away, that would require probate. And oftentimes those business interests can be quite valuable, but it might not be cash. Right. And so then all of a sudden, if you're having to pay a probate fee based on the value of that business, that's not ever you know fun news to give to a client. I have that exact circumstance <laughs> right now. Husband passed away individually owned a 50% interest in a business and we're having to pay a one and a quarter percent fee to the county right. yeah. on the value of illiquid business interest. Right. And that hurts Yeah, yeah really because does. if proper planning had been done, we could have avoided that yep. and we would have created a trust. We would have aligned that asset into the name of the trust. And those business interests are, are so easy to yes. get. It's a simple assignment document yeah. to get that ownership interest in the trust. Yeah. Yep. So I think when we ask our clients to sit down and put together an asset list for us, they automatically think about cash yep. and real estate, Right. but then it's our job to remind them about other types of assets that they have mm -hmm. that can easily be kind of forgotten about or maybe moved to the bottom of the list. And so there's tangible personal property and then there's intangible personal property. And so as good estate planning attorneys, it's us saying to our client, hey, have you thought about your tangible property? Have you thought about your intangible property? Mm -hmm. So I think maybe we should, for our listeners, just distinguish the difference <laughs> right. between tangible personal property and intangible personal property. Yeah, this discussion always really reminds me of first year law yeah. school, the first property class that you have. So, you know, so yeah, so types of property, you have real property, right. which is real estate, and you have personal property, which is everything else. Mm -hmm. And so then personal property is then divided in tangible versus intangible. So tangible personal property are things like your household furnishings, your vehicles, your jewelry, your collectibles, your knickknacks, your utensils in the kitchen drawer. I mean, it's all of your stuff. You I know, always say it's the stuff you can actually pick up and right. physically move. And that's what that whole tangible yeah. idea is. It's something that you can touch and feel. Mm -hmm. Whereas your checking account, mm -hmm. you know, it's not real estate, mm -hmm. so it's personal property, but that's considered intangible personal property. So your bank accounts, your investments, you know, those types of assets are always going to be intangible. Um, you know, we're very fortunate in Delaware that when we do estate planning, we can attach a memorandum that addresses um, tangible personal property, sort of directing, you know, who gets, you know, the, the diamond ring, who gets the sports car, who mm -hmm. gets the Rolex, um, you know, or even the, you know, the dining room furniture. Mm -hmm. um, so always important, you know, important to consider and plan for those things. Because, I mean, you know, it, it's the area, the biggest area of conflict that we see in settling estates. Well, right before we started recording this, we were talking about two different cases we have right now where the family is battling over what we feel 
is valueless, tangible property, but what they're going to spend in attorney's fees to right. resolve conflict, yeah. it's outrageous. And in both of those cases, if they had planned thoroughly, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, we do a lot of estate and trust administration. People come to us that we didn't do their planning, but right. their family has come to us to ask us to settle things for them, you know, after their loved one has passed away. And those are always hard cases for us because we think, oh my goodness, if this person had just come to us while they were living and we could have helped them plan appropriately that, you know, this whole mess that we're now dealing with would have been avoided. Yeah. And what makes tangible personal property so hard to distribute is it can't be easily divided. Right. We right. can't cut the diamond ring in right. half. Right. Right. We, you know, only one person can get the low digit Delaware tag or the sports <laughs> car. Right. So if one, more than one person wants it or feels some sense of entitlement to it, that can lead to conflict. Right. So right. use of the memo is something we always yeah. recommend. Yeah. So when we talk about intangible personal property, you know, let's get, we'll get to the, the topic that we're supposed to talk about today. Yep. <laughs> so intangible personal property, you know, something that, you know, as my career has evolved, even your, you yeah. know, both of our careers have yeah. evolved, you know, that more and more so we have to think about digital assets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny when that topic comes up, people are like, oh, no, I don't, they think about like Bitcoin, right? Well, no, I don't own any of that cryptocurrency yeah. stuff. You it know? never will. Right, right, yeah. right. But they don't realize like exactly what, you know, digital assets are. Yeah. So let's, let's go over some examples right. of digital assets. Yes. Yep. So, um, you know, so digital, so it's your email account, mm -hmm. you know, electronic communications, like when you pass away, who has a right to get into your email, mm -hmm. you know, and your emails are a lot of your history and there mm -hmm. might be information in there that's needed. Um, so, you know, yeah, who has the right to that? If your computer's password protected or if you have, you know, a password on your email account, which everyone should, right? <laughs> um, and what I find too related to passwords is it's the, you need the password to get into the machine. Right. Then you need the password to get into the email account. And yes. then you need the password to get into the financial account. So right. it's typically right. levels of yeah, passwords absolutely. too. So, yeah. So email, you know, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Everybody has mm -hmm. So most people say, I don't have any digital assets. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have an email mm -hmm. account? Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, online reward programs mm -hmm. like your airline miles, mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. Those are, you know, all online. You know, I mean, I suppose you can call and talk to a person maybe about those programs, mm -hmm. but, you know, there's no physical asset. You know, it's all online. And financial accounts, you know, there's more and more so people do their online banking. You know, there are some financial institutions that are exclusively mm -hmm. online. I think like E-Trade mm -hmm. is an example of that. Um, so yeah, again, you have an E-Trade account, you own a digital asset. Um, digital collections, you know, things like, you know, your iTunes mm -hmm. collection, mm -hmm. you know, um, music that you've downloaded and, and probably paid for over time. Audible is something that I Audible. know we both use. Yes, Audible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got all your, you know, your, um, your, you know, your online books. It's our library. <laughs> yeah, your library. Uh -huh. That's what I was uh -huh. in. Your library of books that you've purchased, yeah. you know, over time. Um, or, you know, an online, you know, digital collection, you know, your, your photos that are mm -hmm. uploaded to Shutterfly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, who has the right to those when you pass away? Um, domain names, you know, if you own a domain name, you know, if I had michelleprosinowells.com, mm -hmm. you know, and I own that individually, if it's owned in a business, then you're looking at, you know, how the business is owned. But some people have, you know, I know there's some realtors mm -hmm. who have those set up in their individual names. So that's a digital asset. Um, electronically stored data. You know, that could be if you have like a cloud, you know, iCloud mm -hmm. is an example of that for people that have iPhones. Um, 
you know, Dropbox, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure there's a gazillion others, you know, I use a, I think we both do an online password, mm-hmm. you know, uh, keep and mine's called keeper mm-hmm. where it, it's where I store and I hope and pray it's secure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. If anybody had access to that, bad <laughs> it, news. It says it is. Yeah. But you know, that's a, that's, you know, electronically stored data mm-hmm. where, you know, all of my usernames and passwords and account numbers, you know, there's so much information stored there. And again, who has the right to that if if I'm gone? Right. Um, and then certainly cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. things like Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, you know, all of those things. Venmo mm-hmm. is an example of that now. You know, more and more people are using Venmo. Um, and if you hold a balance in your Venmo account or PayPal mm-hmm. for that matter, um, you know, that's considered a digital asset when you pass away. Who, you know, who has the right to those assets? Yeah. So to your point, I think every single person listening to this episode has some form of digital asset. This applies to everyone. And so then the question becomes, what controls (laughs) these digital assets? Are they controlled by state law, federal law, user agreements, estate plans? (laughs) So do you want to dig in a little bit so people listening to this feel maybe comfortable understanding yeah. what what does it mean when they click that little check box <laughs> right, right and the yeah. little check box that no one reads no one including reads us as attorneys right. and here's the thing even if you do read it you can't change it right yeah. you're not going to like negotiate the terms of it with you you check i agree right or i consent or whatever mm-hmm. it is and you move on because you want to you know download that app mm-hmm. or whatever it is and so yeah so there's you know a lot of information in those you know those companies um you know all of those agreements if you did read it they've got all kinds of like privacy and protections in there, um, which is good for you. Mm -hmm. You know, like you want that, you know, you don't want Facebook to just be able to turn over your account to anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, they're designed to protect your privacy. But what that does is it limits access by others. And that's a good thing when you want it limited, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, there might be situations where you don't want it limited. And so federal law is really interesting on this topic because, you know, there's all the laws that criminalize hacking mm-hmm. um, and unauthorized use of somebody else's digital assets. And again, you know, we want those laws to be in place because that's what protects us. But here's the thing. If I pass away and my trustee, you know, decides that they're going to try to access, you know, my pictures in Shutterfly, under a federal law, they would actually be committing a felony. Mm-hmm. Even if I had given them my username and password, under those anti-hacking laws, that's a felony. Mm-hmm. So my goodness, like how, you know, you don't, you don't want someone inadvertently, you know, committing a felony. <laughs> um, so fortunately, state law um, has some influence. So in Delaware, um, in 2014, uh, Delaware enacted the, it's called the Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets and Digital Accounts Act. And in 2016, Maryland passed a similar law. And what these statutes do, they do give fiduciaries. So this is, you know, the agent under your power of attorney. This is the executor under your will, the trustee under your trust, you know, your successor trustee. It gives fiduciaries the ability to take legal control Mm -hmm. of the digital assets um, just as they would with more traditional assets. Um, and there are limitations exi- that still exist with these statutes. So it really is critical to plan accordingly because here's the catch with these statutes. The documents, whether it's the power of attorney, the will, the trust, it based on these statutes, it has to expressly and specifically grant authority to access the digital assets. 
And so that's still the mistake a lot of people make. Mm -hmm. So when these statutes were passed at the state level, it was up to us as attorneys and all practicing estate planning attorneys to, to make sure that the foundational estate planning documents that their clients were signing now incorporate reference to these digital assets Correct. statutes right. Right. to make sure that the agent or the trustee or the executor has proper authority. I had a, a prudent client recently come in and say, I need to update my documents mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. my power of attorney will entrust reference access to digital assets. And I thought, that's really smart. Right. Yeah. That's really smart they that you're actually one of our workshops. Some, <laughs> somebody told her yeah. that she needed to be thinking about this. Yeah. Her husband really had passed smart. away and her family actually was helping her transition all of the digital assets. So mm -hmm. like the Apple TV over oh, from yeah. her husband's name to her name. So I don't know if that's what maybe prompted right. her to start thinking about Probably. this. Like what's going to happen when I later become incapacitated or pass away? I don't want my kids to have any trouble. Right. So just yeah. really, really smart to yeah, think you about. Know, you know, we see a lot of homemade documents or unfortunately, you know, we see documents prepared even by other attorneys that maybe just aren't as experienced in estate planning um, and those documents don't include these provisions no and you know that's the whole thing these statutes like I say it makes it so it's not a felony mm -hmm. <laughs> but the the document you know has to specifically authorize it so you know still some some work there to do for a lot of people can't you imagine someone giving us pushback and saying even if the document didn't authorize it if I've got the username and password who's ever gonna know and, and I it's say, a well, risk. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Call me if it goes back. Right. You know, right. I, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that, you know, and as attorneys, you know, we always have to counsel people on what's the right and appropriate thing to do. Whether they take our advice or not is going to be up to them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, the, so if a person's prudent and they're planning for these types of digital assets, creating an inventory of the digital assets is one of our very first recommendations. Yes, and absolutely. You mentioned your password keeper as an example. And that's an inventory. Yes. That's an inventory is. of all your usernames and passwords. So if something happened to you, someone else that you've given authority to could access that information. Right, right. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's really whether you do it on paper and you store it in a very safe place mm -hmm. or, um, you know, you'd use some kind of, you know, app or something, you know, some kind of online tool. It's so critical because, you know, otherwise without that information, it's going to, even if you've got the governing documents, it's going to be really, really hard for your, you know, your fiduciaries to get into those kinds of accounts. So yeah, you got to have something it has got to identify what type of asset it is, where or how the asset is stored, that login mm -hmm. information, you know, it's because now too, a lot of times, you know, if you use a different computer, it's going to ask you security questions. Mm -hmm. So you got to know what the answers to those are. So it's really important. Your, your fiduciaries need to know those answers. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes even there's additional information like for cryptocurrencies, which I'm not an expert on, but apparently you have to have a key. Mm -hmm. And so even if you have all the other information, if that key is lost, mm -hmm. I remember in the news, it's been I a year too. or so ago, yeah. someone who was going to lose like millions mm -hmm. of dollars um, because he couldn't find his key mm -hmm. for his, his cryptocurrency. Um, and so, yeah, you, you always want to consider what's going to make sense for you, you know, perhaps using some kind of online password manager, you know, I use keeper is what it's called. Mm -hmm. There's one that's called secure safe. 
Um, so just really smart to just have a plan for that. And, you know, be committed. You've got to update it regularly. Mm-hmm. I am still a little too old school. I periodically, I in the Keeper app, you can go online. I peri- periodically print it because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just, and I have a safe at home. I print it and I put it in the safe mm-hmm. um, just so that if something happens to me, you know, my family will have that. And, you know, I put in the login information on that. And then I make sure it's in my safe where it's protected. I use the exact same app and I, I actually will, I, I think the coolest thing about Keeper is that you can export it yes. into Excel or into a PDF. Mm-hmm. You can print it. You could secure it in the cloud. Just another place where your trusted people could get to that information. Right, right. And this isn't an advertisement for Keeper. No, it's not. This is what we both happen to personally use. Yeah. <laughs> and there, and, and I, I recently during one of our educational events was asked about Keeper and what I use personally, we pay an annual fee to use it, but it's yeah. nominal. Right. And like twenty some dollars, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To spend twenty bucks a year right. to make sure that information is safe and available, right. it's worth it. Well, and I don't know about you, but I can't keep all my passwords straight. Oh, so it's not only to store them, but it's, it's to store them for me. Me too. <laughs> I <laughs> use too. it almost daily. I feel like I'm like, gosh, what was that password? <laughs> yeah. Or I got logged out of Hulu, so right. I need to right. look to see what my Hulu password is. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very user friendly and and very beneficial. So kind of to circle back to what we talked about in the beginning, having an accurate up-to-date asset list is probably the number one most important piece of information your family needs upon incapacity or death. And don't have tunnel vision and think that just means my financial accounts and my real property. That includes digital assets and all of your usernames and passwords for ease of access. Right. We've talked about kind of the next thing to do to plan for digital assets being making sure your estate plan addresses the access or grants the authority necessary. Is there anything more that you feel like we need to say about that? No, I don't think so. And I think really just to kind of wrap things up, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's just important with digital assets, especially all the social media accounts, you know, now more, you know, a lot of people, even our older clients, you know, they use digital assets to document their lives Mm -hmm. instead of making photo albums you know they they're they've got all their pictures on Facebook Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know or in their phone Mm -hmm. you know for that matter um and so you know it's it kind of reflects a person's values their history their memories and the thing is if that's if they're not planned for and if those assets are lost when somebody passes away you know that's part of their legacy it's Mm -hmm. part of their history so you know it's it's important to protect the privacy of it all the security of it all but it also you know it's if for a lot of people it's a big part of their lives Mm -hmm. and something that you know you want to make sure is preserved when they're gone yeah so I think that's a great way to wrap it up we want to thank you for being with us today on off the clock if you'd like to learn more about us visit our website at pwwlaw.com of course you can contact us directly by calling 302-628-4140 or emailing info at pwwlaw.com We're here to help you plan today to protect your family's tomorrow. See you next time. Anything discussed on Off the Clock is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to create an attorney-client relationship. To obtain the most reliable guidance, listeners are encouraged to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals.